This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Tina Cheng from Cherubic Ventures in Taiwan, where she shared her investors' perspective on the Taiwan startup ecosystem and how she looked at founders and investments as an early-stage investor. Hi, Tina. Hi, Bernard. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I am good. And you're based in Taipei, right? Yes. It's very hot right now, yes. And I'm talking to Tina Cheng, partner from Cherubic Ventures. The reason why I got you here is because I want to talk about the Taiwan startup ecosystem with you and also what Cherubic Ventures is doing there from the investor viewpoint. Before I begin, I would like to get to know you better. How did you start your career? Actually, I first started working at an advertising agency called Ogilvy and Mather. It's part of the uh, WPP group. That was my first, I guess, full-time job. At the time, my clients include Coca-Cola and some of the local brands here in, in Taiwan. I did that for a couple of years, and then I decided to go to the States for business school. And then ended up working in Silicon Valley after I graduated from UCLA Anderson School of Management. And then, um, so I spent a few months working at Yahoo, which was really fun, actually. I ultimately decided to go into consulting and did that for a few years. And you know how in Silicon Valley, the, the holy grail is to go do a startup. So the, the entire environment really, I guess, it pushed everyone there to think, oh, I, I have to, you know, find my own company. And now working at a big company, it just excuse to recruit you know your co-founders or your future employees so after you know working in consulting firm for about three years i actually went back to taiwan to start an education startup with my friend and that startup the the goal was to really help students here in asia to like a one-stop shop for them to find and apply to institutions, education or schools here in US or UK or anywhere in the world and vice versa, helping these schools to find um, students in emerging markets. So I was uh, you know, the co-founder of the uh, CEO of the company and it was doing well, but obviously wasn't a unicorn or it's gonna be like a rocket ship. So that's when I met Matt who is the, you know, the founder of uh, my current firm, Sherbet Ventures. At the time, you know, Matt was really more like an angel investor or super angel. But then he was thinking about institutionalized the fund. So um, that's when I joined, joined him. That was in 2014. I, I'm actually the first full-time person to join the fund and kind of help set up, you know, the, the Taipei office, which is our fund's first physical office. And so that's how I really, the whole thing, you know, about doing VC actually get started. So I would say, you know, my career into the VC world is kind of like a accident. It definitely wasn't, I wasn't planning for it. But so far it's, uh, it's going well. So what's the transition from being an entrepreneur to being a venture capitalist? Because one is on the sell side and now you're on the buy side. Yes. 
Well, I think because we are early stage C-Fund, so we're actually dealing with a lot of uh, founders. So the fact that I used to be an entrepreneur myself really helped me have, have that empathy. You, you can understand you know, what the founders are going through. And I think the transition is how can I have to be more, more critical? You know, when you're a founder, obviously, you know, you're passionate, but then sometimes you're also very naive. So after becoming, you know, working in a VC for a few years now, after seeing, you know, and talking to hundreds and hundreds of early stage startups, you can quickly pick up or kind of tell which team or which founding team are, you know, more ready than some of the other ones, which are still kind of might not be ready to do their own startup and which one are the really experienced one or probably have a better shot at doing, you know, their, their own startup. So throughout your career journey, what are the interesting career lessons you can share with my audience then? So I think one of the thing is, I think one lesson I learned is that I always say the grass is always greener on the other side. So for sure, when I was in Silicon Valley and wanted to, to launch my own startup, it was definitely kind of, you know, obviously I talked to a lot of founders, but I don't think at the time I really took the steps to understand all the little details of what it really you know, entails to uh, do, you know, your own startup, to be a founder, you know. Also, I think back then, there most of the news or the, the coverage you see on, let's say, TechCrunch or some of the other tech news is more, more glamorous, right? But you don't really see the, the, the dark side or the hardship of being a founder. It can be actually really consuming and that's definitely a lot of hard work, not just physically, but also mentally. So I think one of the advice I will, career advice I will give to people is, you know, a lot of times when people are thinking about switching industry or switching company, don't just look what's, you know, on the surface. Really go talk to people at that firm or people who really can give you real and honest feedback. Um, I think that's one of the key, key lessons. And I think the other one is uh, whether you're a founder or not, you know, you should really have, find yourself a mentor or a couple people who are a little bit more senior than you, but you can, you can really uh, talk to them about, you know, whether it's work or it's personal, personal life. Because I think, you know, being a founder especially can be a very lonely journey because you have, kind of have to be the most optimistic the cheerleader at a firm, but at the same time, kind of have to be skeptical in order to kind of stay ahead, right? So that could be a lonely journey. So you really want to have someone to be able to share that emotional burden and to give you a very honest and unbiased opinion about the situation. So I think having someone to talk to regularly as a mentor is can be very helpful. And I think lastly, just very simple exercise. I think it really works. It really gives you positive energy. So I think just, you know, if you can, you know, run or jog or whatever, you know, every day, if you can. I recently started asking this question to all the venture capitalists I've talked to, starting from my old friend, Smitty from Seed Plus. What's the daily routine like for a venture capitalist for someone like yourself? What do you do? Okay, 
So it can really vary. Every day can be very different. But I think at a very high level, I divided my my day into kind of two parts. Either talking to new startups that we might be potentially investing, or I am uh, talking to our portfolio companies, advising them on you know what various problems that they're going through, or just talking to them about you know strategy or helping them with fundraising. So these two. Are probably the main activities that you know makes up my day, and if I'm not doing these two things, I'm probably reading up on Twitter or tech news. Do you have some of your days? Would it be very like solving problems for startups if they come to you? Oh、um, yeah, that happens a lot. You know, running a startup, especially in early stage, oftentimes they. Don't necessarily, for example, fundraising, right? A lot of the the nitty gritty details, they sometimes don't really have experience or just the the knowledge of you know dealing with a lot of the the details of fundraising, negotiating with different investors, how do you counter terms, things like that could you know take a long time and. They really need people who have experience can tell them oh how 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 should they cope with、uh, various situations that can have great impact on the company. So we're going to come to the main topic of the day about Cherubic Ventures and of course the venture capital ecosystem in Taiwan. So what is the mission and vision of Cherubic Ventures? Our mission is you know we want to be the first institutional investor of great companies that's in. U.S. and Greater China. So you know we're focusing on early stage and want to be able to find the best company and investing them, obviously. And I think our our vision is to create a valuable cross-border platform or cultivate a global community of founders and brand, and to be able to attract the best entrepreneurs to come to. You know this platform and and be invested by us. Right now, we have about a hundred plus portfolio companies across these two regions, and we're slowly building out this you know this platform. I guess I'm talking about, and and hopefully in a few years we will see the re- results. So, what is your role and coverage in Cherubic Ventures then? So I'm based in Taipei, so I'm covering most of the deals, you know, deal flows and investments in Taiwan as well as post management here. And I also sometimes chip in on some of the cross border deals. For example, you know, U.S. company might want to come to Asia, and we can help them. We probably help them connect with the right resources here in Asia. I'm very curious to know because I know one of your partners have recently been featured on the information. So, can you talk about who are the key partners in the management team of Cherubic Ventures? Right. So, the so there's three main partners: myself and Matt. Matt Chen, he is the、uh, the founder and managing partner of、um, our fund, and he's the one referring to. You know, yes, recently he was featured in the information, also Wall Street Journal. And the third partner is Snow. She is based in Beijing and looking after the investments as well as the portfolios in in China. So, do you have an investment thesis, and what are the verticals that Cherubic Ventures actually invest in? Right. So, one of the investment thesis. We have in in China, for example, is consumer upgrade. What that means is the rise of the Chinese middle class, also of course the the white collar 
workers. They are now looking for a better lifestyle and they're willing to spend more money on you know better things for themselves, for their children. They're spending money on education, on travel, entertainment, shopping. A lot of the, the investments that we do in China are aligning with this particular investment thesis. Another one that I think is also important is industry transformation. So, for example, one of the investments we have in the U.S. is called uh, Flexport. They are a freight forwarding company. And they're using software and technology to make the freight forwarding process much more efficient and, and modern. And so, so, so this is a classic example of you know using technology to really transform a very traditional and very closed industry, but a very very large market opportunity. So these type of、uh, I guess investment theses kind of help us and also guide us in some of our investment decisions. So how do you identify founders of startup to invest in? What are the key traits you look in them then? When we make in our investments, a lot of deals or companies are actually referral from our trusted network of founders or investors or just you know very close friends. So I think there is a, a kind of heavy filter there to help us、um, identify founders that are recommended by our trusted network, and some of the. Traits that we look for include, I think, obviously, number one, they need to be, they have, they need to have the domain of expertise of what they're trying to solve. We also look for a very balanced founding team, team members. So, preferably, you know, on the founders, they should have one person who is technical, and the other person who is more on、um, savvy on the business side. Or can bring product or industry knowledge. These are some of the key key traits. It really actually really depends. I think every every team or every company is a little bit different. But I think what we what we like is you know when founders have those traits and when they are really really passionate about what they're trying to solve. So, what are the common issues that Cherubic Ventures typically help founders to do more on the hiring side, or maybe raising the next round, or any other parts that deal with maybe mentoring the founders? Right. I think there's three things that we mainly help them. One, obviously, is fundraising because as as investors, we naturally have a very robust network of investor that we can refer to. That also, just on the process or some tricks. A strategy of fundraising. You can you will be surprised. I mean, a lot of the very very experienced founders, entrepreneur, even even they can be very clueless when it comes to you know how to fundraise effectively. So、uh, on that area, we can definitely help them a lot. Especially we have you know regional network both in U.S. and here in Asia. Another thing is we do have in-house media support that can help them to draft, you know, news、uh, press release or help them to get、uh, help them pitch to first-tier media here in Asia as well as in the U.S. And、uh, lastly, I think a lot of time because we're dealing with early-stage companies, I'll try kind of try to help them 
with product strategy, show them what we're seeing, you know, in U.S. and here in Asia, kind of inspire them and to guess give them a lot of different ideas about how their product company can can go. How do you help founders when their startups are in trouble? I guess my question is in a little bit is what are the do nots that you tell them not to do then? This is an interesting question. So I think one of the very typical problems or sometimes troubles early stage startups run into is they they tend to sometimes run out of money. So obviously, you know, when we are regularly monitoring them and we will tell them, you know, don't overspend the money you just raised, right? Because I think there was a time maybe back in 2000. 15 or 16 when the market is very frothy and every company can go out and raise a few millions of seeds round and so back then the trend was oh i need to immediately spend that money on new fancy office or snack bar or hiring the most expensive engineers so we will advise company not to do that because you never know when the market is going to turn on you or you need to always be conservative and, and lean on when it comes to, uh, you know, your your runway, right? And also, a lot of oftentimes what happens is when companies are running out of cash, they will uh, panic and they might frantically start to fundraise. And we will tell them, uh, we will advise them, don't take a bad offer or a bad term sheet. Um, that does not make sense or that might just, you know, sometimes some investors will take advantage of that kind of situation and ask for very unfair terms. And we will ask the founder to not just take the money as well as the, the bad terms because you might as well close down then, you know, continue to, you know, work for someone else on, on their terms. Another problem they sometimes run into is the, the founder's uh, having problems with each other, which are are sometimes unsolvable. Even money can't can solve that problem. So sometimes we will tell them, you know, if you have a very toxic co-founder or high-level executive, you have to be able to find the best way to get them to to leave the company instead of staying and and hurting the, the culture uh, or morale. So I'm very curious to know what are the interesting companies that are currently on the Cherubic Ventures portfolio then. This week, we actually, uh, one of our portfolio in China is called Liu Li Shuo. That translates directly into uh, speak English uh, fluently. They just raised a huge round of money, a series C round of 100 million. So their product is uh, actually an AI-enabled English teaching app. So the app can rate your English, rather it's pronunciation or writing or grammar, they have a very sophisticated assessment engine and it's adaptive and can be personalized to fit every, everyone's different learning goals. I think we invested in a company back in probably four years ago. Back then, there wasn't this AI hype. Right. But then the companies, when they first started out, they just wanted to help Chinese people to, when they speak English, you know, they wanted to help them to have the perfect pronunciation and to be able to tell you, oh, how can you improve on certain pronunciation? But and after several years now, they actually accumulated 
millions and millions of minutes of how the Chinese people talk, you know, the、uh, talking in English, and they use that data and turn that data into a very strong or useful, powerful engine to help them learn their English. So I thought that was a very interesting company. You know, they didn't think of, you know, they didn't predict that after, you know, 2017 AI is all the hype, but somehow they have all this data and now. It's a very valuable and, and, and powerful products for millions of users.、Uh, I mean, in China, another company that's very interesting is、uh, the US. It's called Calm, and it's a meditation app.、Uh, when we first invested in them back then, it was just like three people, and the founders are very all very into meditation. They think mental health. Actually, very very important to to people. And back then, there was already a very strong competitors called Headspace,、uh, also raised tons of money in the market. But somehow now, you know, after several years, Calm I think is probably a very clear、uh, number two in the meditation market, and they have lot lots of paying、um, subscribers. And every every month, they will send us you know, testimonial from their users. And share about how the app has helped them improve their sleep or help them de-stress. So I think these two companies are、uh, quite interesting. I'm very curious to hear your perspective as an investor with, within the Taiwan startup ecosystem. So I spoke to Holly Harrington recently from the Taiwan Startup Stadium, and it is still at its pretty nascent stage. So from an investor view, how do you see the ecosystem? I, I do agree. It's still a very young ecosystem in terms of you know early startup, but I think it has come a long way. If you compare、uh, Taiwan ecosystem now with a few years back, in let's talk about you know funding. Let's say 2010. There's probably no early stage VC firm you know in, in Taiwan, and very few people are 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 doing early stage startups. But now there is at least five to ten early stage fund, and are coming out more and more every month. Also, the government launched several matching programs as well as direct investment programs. So, on the funding side, there's definitely a huge boost from before. Also, the quality of founders have also improved. I think now we have produced several very interesting companies from Taiwan. You know, our, our portfolio, you know, Pinkoi, for example, is a design marketplace. They are selling not just in Taiwan but also in the U.S., Japan, Hong Kong, Thailand, China, and their investor is Sequoia, so it's like a first-year investor. Other companies such as Appier is also a ad tech. Company and they also raised, I think, twenty million or probably more from several very prominent investors in here in Asia, and also Seventeen Media. This is a, a live streaming app that has number one, I think, in, in Taiwan and Hong Kong. And all these companies have not just expanded beyond Taiwan, but also got a lot of fundings. And I think if they Can have a great exit in the next few years. It will really help to boost the ecosystem. I think the greatest challenge for the ecosystem right now is just we haven't had、uh, any successful or mega hits yet, right? If you look at China, there's VAT. If you look at Southeast Asia, there's Grab. There is a lot of unicorns. 
or unicorns to be, right? But if you look at Taiwan, it's kind of hard to for and for people outside of Taiwan to just instantly think of a successful、uh, internet company. I hope in the next few years we can solve that problem and. If we can continue to consistently create or produce interesting large internet company, that will really help the ecosystem. I want to bring up a very interesting point because from the outside world, we looked at Taiwan as a pretty interesting place for hardware companies. I mean, Gogoro, which、okay. is pretty well、right. known for the Tesla for motorcycles, right? Yes, they have raised about one hundred and fifty million, probably. Is also in the same range as like going to be a startup unicorn at some point, right? So, how do you see the hardware piece that fits within the startup ecosystem? Because from the way Holly they have explained to me, it seems that hardware is becoming taking a less important for startups, but it's actually but there is a very strong and vibrant hardware manufacturing ecosystem core competency within Taiwan itself. Yes, as we know, you know, or as you know, hardware manufacturing has been the star industry in Taiwan. You know, being the the top OEM or OBM in the world, this is one of the the strongest industry in Taiwan. So that capability and talents definitely there. However, I think before some of the company there. In the value chain or supply chain system, they're not capturing the most value. They're leaving the brands, you know, to other company, and they're just doing the assembling or some of the lower margin work. So I think in the past few years, there's definitely a lot of startups in Taiwan. They're doing consumer IoT, you know, smart hardware that type of products. However, I don't think there has been much success just because you know hardware is so expensive to make, and it, especially in the consumer space, very competitive. So I think now people are a little bit, especially investor, a little bit hesitant, you know, to to put in money. In consumer hardware products, I think that said, there is still a lot of opportunity in industrial IoT, and I, I do think Taiwan has an advantage around that area as well. For example, I don't know if you heard of Umbo CV. They're doing, they're using AI technology, applying that to surveillance video. And I think they're targeting the U.S. market, but using technology and talents here in Taiwan. And I, I think there are several other companies in Taiwan that are working on something hardware related, but also has a technology or software component. So I think, given the the natural, I, I guess, advantage, I we probably will continue to see more hardware related startups coming out from Taiwan. Probably the untold secret that my wife's startup is also leveraging a lot on Taiwan's manufacturing ecosystem for the quality and also the intellectual property side. But I thought I should ask last question: What are the challenges for the Taiwan startup ecosystem from your perspective that they need to resolve in the next couple of years? Then I think you know one challenge I I just mentioned. You know, we as a ecosystem, we need to do whatever it is that we can to help. You know. Startups to 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 become bigger and to have great exits, right? And I think other challenges sort of face here is 
They are very good at producing products, but they are not so great at doing marketing or business development or expanding beyond Taiwan. I think these are the, the, the skills that founders here need to really quickly pick up because that's going to be really important for any companies to have a chance to become a global large company in the future. So it's not enough just to build a great product anymore. You need to be able to get that in front of the customer. You need to be able to raise a lot of money. You need to know how to convince different partners from different regions to work with you to push this product to different markets. So these multidisciplinary skills and I guess just uh, understanding of how different markets work is something that a lot of the founders here that have not learned because they don't have any exposure to do that. So I hope in the next few years, we're already seeing, you know, startups from Taiwan going to other places because they know that they know they need to grow beyond um, the Taiwanese market. So I think if hopefully in the next few years, they can track the code of expanding internationally and we'll be able to see more Taiwanese startups getting success, not just within Taiwan, but also in other markets as well. So Tina, many thanks. How do my audience find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Tina Chen, is my name. You can also follow our, uh, our company's um, Twitter, which is Cherubic VC. Uh, you can also connect me on, on LinkedIn as well. You can find me at blongcwrbernardlong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, TuneIn, and of course, Google Play in the US market. Recommend us on Overcast. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And of course, drop me a comment, whether it's on Twitter or anywhere else. Once again, Tina definitely will get you back on the show again. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Bernard. Thank you for having me.